The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Furfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of sweaty balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. Hello again. We are back with another great podcast. Hi, Holly. How are you? I'm great. I love this. Uh, I love this music. I, I just feel like I can't decide if I'm in a in a game show or if I'm at like a really bad disco. It's really it's, it's great to dance to, isn't it? <laughs> and that's what we want. We want people to to get up and be enlivened, be invigorated with this music. And you know what I do when I listen to the podcast? I put it on. Uh, I download it onto my iPod and I clean the house. Yes. It makes cleaning the house so much easier. Oh my gosh, I walk my dogs with it now. See, perfect. Yeah, I do every time. And now um, I've just got into a, a fantastic artist. And I think when we were talking about when when I'm talking about. I'm, that I'm going to sing on the podcast one day and somebody yes. um, somebody emailed and said that you've got to be can you sing a song from Adele yes well then I didn't know who Adele was you didn't no I didn't where are you from how bad I, I'm terrible I'm still in the 1990s are you right? kidding me I didn't know who Adele was, so I went online and I checked it out. Oh, my yeah. goodness me. Isn't she what amazing? What an incredible voice this woman has. She's like 23. She's Is she? Yeah, she's like 22 or 23. She sounds like she's 16, in, in, you know, in a good way, yeah. that she's really lived life and she sings from the soul. So, no, I'm not singing a song from Adele. She's, <laughs> <laughs> it's yes, too you embarrassing. You know, her albums, like 19 came out when she was 19. She wrote that when she was 19. Really? And the reason why it's called 21 is she wrote that when she was 21. Oh, my goodness me. Right. And you think about that song, someone like you, yes, somebody like you. beautiful. Like the pain. How does a 21-year-old know that kind of pain? I don't know. She's an old soul. She is an old soul. Well, I, I, I was really impressed, and I have to say... Um, Okay, yeah, I well, discovered that. Yes. here's another person that I want you to, if you like Adele, uh, look up Christina Perry. Do you Christina know who she Perry. is? No, no, Jar actually, Sean, Sean was over here the other day. He was watching football with my husband, your husband, Sean. Yes. And they were, they were down um, in uh, watching in our basement and um, he mentioned her. And played me a little bit of uh, music from his iPhone. And again, she was beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful a, voice. That, yeah, that's my. She's she was one of my new favorites with Adele. But it's yeah, her name's Christina Perry, Jar of Hearts. And if you watch the X Factor, the guy who I love, Josh Krajic, who I want to win, who I called it from the moment I saw him, and he's I've had my money on that horse. He sang one of her songs, and it was haunting. It was beautiful. Was but it? you would like Christina Perry's entire album. It's a great album. Okay, can we turn this into a music show? Let's do it. Why not? Does anybody care? Nope, nope, nobody cares. No. I don't hear anybody objecting. Fabulous. <laughs> um, can I just tell you what I did last weekend? Yes, please. Fascinating. I really like to experience different cultures. So I went to the um, American Indian, um, Native American Indian Festival and powwow at Stone Mountain. Wow. Yeah. How and, cool. And this is where... Um, you go to experience the central role of um, dance in Native culture cool. as Native Americans from across the United States and Central America compete in intertribal <gasps> dance and drum competitions. That's what it is. You know, because when I talked to Van, your husband, last week, and I said, what's Vic up to? He goes, she's going to some Pocahontas thing. Some Pocahontas thing? <laughs> oh, you can't. Okay, That's what re- he told me. It was some Pocahontas okay. thing. And I was like, Disney? Princess? All right. Makes more sense. The reason why he said that is because a couple, we go every year. I take my daughter every year. And the reason why he says that is because two years ago, or was it three years ago, the woman who plays Pocahontas, the voice of Pocahontas on the animated film, Pocahontas, was there. Okay. She was there and signed. She had dolls, the Pocahontas dolls, and she was signing them. And so my daughter, who was a great big fan of Pocahontas, um, got a doll and got a signed doll. So that was a big, big deal. Got it. But that's because he's van. My husband's never been with us to these festivals. (laughs) He's always watching football. So, and it was really incredible tribes from all over the United States dancing and these amazing drums. And I, I, um, I I love all that kind of ritual and that music and it really, really gets you going. And you can hear a little bit of in the background. I mean, just, 
just think of this. Cool. I wanted to bring my mother from England to see this. You should bring her next year. Yes, I will. <clears throat> well, you know, last week when I was out west, two yes. weeks ago now, I don't even know what day it is. Um, you know, when you go out there, you see the Oregon Trail and you see the Mormon Trail, and it's when everybody went west to the gold rush. And there's a lot of Native Americans who were out in the Midwest. I mean, you had the the Sioux tribes. I mean, all of them out there. And, um, you know, you learn a lot about the history and about what we did Gosh. to the Native Americans by removing them and putting them on reservations. You learn a lot about Chief Crazy Horse and, you know, his relationship with Custer. And it's really rich with that out there out in the West. I love it. All we got in Britain was when we got Western films, yeah. we got cowboy films, it was always that the, the Native American was the bad person. Right. And um, so when I came over here and actually learned about what happened, I was shocked mm-hmm. because they were always made out to be the bad guy. Right. And so, I mean, uh, how how skewed is it? How skewed, especially in Britain, that you learn that as a kid? Right. But um, coming to see these incredible people and their incredible dancing and this rich culture, it was just fascinating. And then, you know, I have two seven-year-olds with me, and they are they are enthralled. Wow. They just sat for hours. But also, there was these great – you could go and make crafts and see how people um, cook, and it's just it's just great. And I met these amazing people, and one of them was called Granny Woman. Have you ever Granny? heard of Granny Woman? No. Any any medicine. She's basically uh-huh. she talks about the use of wild, edible, and medicinal plants in the Southern Appalachians. Hmm. So plants for everything, for eating, and also for medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, did you know that if you get the membrane of an egg, so you peel an egg, mm-hmm. and that membrane between the shell and the actual egg, which I usually peel off. Okay. If you put, if you had a boil. <laughs> a boil as they called it, mm-hmm. or a zit, a spot, and you put it on there, you put that membrane on there, stick it on there for about a day, it's going to draw all of the nastiness out of that boil or that spot. There you go. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. And and what's happened is that, you know, obviously, the, I think it was a husband had this mm-hmm. huge boil on his face. <laughs> it's pretty gross. <laughs> um, oh, and the doctors have been treating him with antibiotics. And courses and courses of antibiotics and nothing had worked. And then she'd heard from a Native American that, um, why don't you use this membrane of an egg? She used it. And then a couple of days, the ball started going down. Wow. And it touched what even antibiotics couldn't touch. Now, I'm not saying everyone go out there if you've got a zit or a boil in your face <laughs> or something terrible. But but I'm advocating it. But this was fantastic. So she gave me the DVD, The Mountain Kitchen. And oh. I've also got it of uh, The Herb Lore of Smoky Mountain Granny Woman. So I haven't watched it all <laughs> yet. But um, I'm going to be uh, – I, I find it fascinating mm-hmm. because we're so reliant on all of these drugs. Mm-hmm. Yet we forget how people used to live – hundreds of years ago and how, how how they dealt with all of these ailments before we had labs well my doctor actually she's an md but she works with a naturopath and so i'm one of those people my husband thinks i'm absolutely crazy i will take a pharmaceutical drug if i need to but i do natural i do all herbs and things that are derivative of herbs like for instance um for thyroid instead of taking synthroid which you know it's fine i took armor thyro which is a natural form of it you still need a prescription but there is something to be said about that and you know, like think about it in the rainforest down in South America and, you know, and other places of the world, you still have medicine men in the middle of nowhere. They don't have, you know, Pfizer trucks pulling up and saying, who needs antibiotics? I mean, it still works. It's kind of cool. It is cool. I want to, I want to look at that when you're done. I want to yeah. take a look. So maybe you and granny woman, you've got to meet her. Well, yeah. And you know, you, I wonder uh, how much of this is translated to dogs. You know, you hear about all these like natural remedies instead of giving your dog a pill. It might be the same thing because we know that dogs some plants and stuff are poisonous to dogs and cats so there it might translate into our friends in the furry world as well i think yeah and there's so many holistic vet, veterinarians out there as yeah. well so very um, cool but it is it, it was it was really cool it was eye-opening and i think it's all, always great i really love taking my daughter alex to things where she can experience and can learn about different cultures and um 
and it was I don't know it just I'm going it really broadens your... horizons would you come with me yeah next year? I didn't know I what it was should... your husband said it was a Pocahontas thing I'm thinking Disney I'm thinking I'll no, stay home and watch it. football too you'd love it okay and we're gonna um, maybe post a little bit of the footage that I took yeah. there on on the website so if you uh, if, after you're listening to this podcast take a look at it and you'll see yeah please do now you're heading out of town tonight right to York I'm going to York Pennsylvania for my live show I'm very very excited Yay. yes and also um, if you can't make it to York Pennsylvania please come to New Bedford Massachusetts on November the 19th that's Sunday I have a, th- uh, a show at 3 o'clock and um, Saturday gosh what is it well, that's why, why can't you... <laughs> I get days right we got the date wrong and posted it everywhere wrong and now I get the day wrong I'm sorry Saturday, November the 19th at 3 o'clock p.m. But yeah, I'm excited about going to York tonight. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. I like York, Pennsylvania. It's near Harrisburg and there's a college there. And Is Penn State there? Yeah, yes, it they're, is. Yeah, they're having a little controversy there and so you can check it out bit. for us. Good grief. <laughs> I know, right? Maybe they need you to go in there and start training with uh, (laughs) training those players and those coaches. No, you know you know who we need to send. We need to send Dr. Paula Bloom. That's right. And speaking of Dr. Paula Bloom, she came back. Mm -hmm. She's going to be back with us. I'm so excited. Okay. Anything else we need to talk about, or should we go get her from the green room? Well, can I just? She's in makeup at the moment. (laughs) Can I? Paula, just wait one second because I want to just tell everybody about Paul's 45th. uh, I was about to say wedding anniversary. Do you remember my show um, called The Unadoptables? And it was when I went to Paws Atlanta, which was a uh, which is a rescue shelter here in Atlanta. That was the It's Me or the Dog episode? Yes. Uh And we filmed it a couple of years ago. And they were going through a really, really bad time. And that whole facility was really dilapidated and very Mm. difficult to get money. But this is a great no-kill shelter in Decatur uh, on the east side of Atlanta. And we filmed a fabulous show. And what was awesome about it is that none of the shelter staff there knew what was going to happen at the very end. So, you know, normally when I say goodbye on my show, I go, okay, goodbye, and uh, I'll be back and just, you know, keep working, and I'll I'll come back and see your progress. Well, what I did is we had them all at the behind the shelter, and um, we kept them all there, and they, they were wondering why why are we all here out in the cold? <laughs> why, why have they brought us all here in a group? And... Um, We were saying to them, okay, it's because, you know, we're just about to shoot the ending and you're all going to have to come out here and say goodbye to me as I drive away in my car. But, of course, it was because we were getting the Lowe's trucks in. Oh, yeah. And when I walked those the shelter staff to the front of the shelter and they saw all the Lowe's trucks filled with lumber and timber and dog houses and and the Lowe's heroes – I tell you, their faces, I mean, they burst into tears. Aww. So there was a, it was a shelter makeover program. And in fact, Lowe's donated $350,000 for it. So wow. I am pleased to say two years later, Paws Atlanta is still going. Yay. And they've just celebrated their 45th anniversary. Gosh. And I was there this weekend. 45 years. So what kind of celebration did they have? They had, oh, I mean, they had great um, dog competitions there. They just had loads of uh, food, great cake. I was there signing books. They had uh, loads of vendors. It was It was a really fun day. Oh, how nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, well, I want to definitely, sometime when you go back over there, just take a visit. I'd like to go with you and see it. I know the folks at Paws Atlanta, uh, when I did a show here locally, they came on the show a lot, but I'd love to go see the, na- the new facility. I haven't been there yet. Yeah, it's My problem is I'll go and take home a dog, which is not terrible, but we have kind of a lot of animals in the house right now. But yeah, yeah, you don't need any more. <laughs> I know, that's great. All right. I used to be able to name every nut, and that used to drive my mother crazy. What planet is he on? That's like peanut, hazelnut. Yeah, but did you know macadamia yes, nuts are toxic nut. to dogs? Macadamia nuts. I'm absolutely amazed. Oh, and did you know this? It costs approximately $10,000 to train a federally certified search and rescue dog. We're going to discuss our hot topic. Victoria, she came back. That's amazing. Can you believe it? Dr. Paula Bloom, back in the studio. Hello. Yeah, just don't give me that quiz again, please. <laughs> was, that tra- was that traumatizing? It is. I had to talk to my own shrink about it, but I'm okay. <laughs> Dr. Paula Bloom is a psychologist, and uh, she's the author of a book that titled, I always say, why does he do that? Why does she do that? Yes. That's okay. right. Why does he do that? Why does she do that? And it's I have a, I'm co-authoring it with uh, Dr. Reef Kareem, who's a psychiatrist over in L.A. And it's a really great book, uh, helping us understand each other. Really. Comes out in March. And yeah. we really need that. Yes. <laughs> We've determined. Um, yes. Males are a strange species. <laughs> they are. They really are. Bizarre. Does that happen in the dog world too? Are there differences between?
mean, um, yes. and female? Yeah, yes, there like are. Like the male definitely. dog keeps the toilet seat up and Yeah, right. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. It's some there's some dysfunction in their brains. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Silence. I was going to say something, but I thought I need to go home and sleep in my own bed tonight. You have an so. edit button? That's great, Holly. <laughs> sort of. Anyway, um, but what I want to talk about, we need to talk about men versus women, but something that's um, interesting that we've all discussed before is pets as therapy. And I know, mm-hmm. Victoria, you did a lot during 9-11 with dogs and um, families of those who were lost in the World Trade Center. Talk a little bit about that, because I don't know, if Paula, if you know about what no, Victoria No, I, I don't. Did. No, no, I want to hear I worked as a volunteer for the ASPCA at that time, and part of what I had to do was to organize the therapy dogs at the Family Assistance Center on Pier 94, which was a place where um, families of the victims would go and um, would give the DNA of their loved ones and would also receive support. Part of what they did was to go on a boat. The boat would take them down to Ground Zero, Mm -hmm. and then they would go to Ground Zero on a platform and look over – at the wreckage and, and wow. just remember their loved ones. A little bit of and closure, I guess. Wow. On the boat was, uh, we had the therapy dogs. We had the therapy dogs go on with them. And I have to say, I mean, just what I saw was profound. I would see people coming in very disturbed and uh, getting onto the boat. Not a lot of talk. Uh, very, 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 very sad, very quiet. Mm-hmm. And then the dogs would come on and people would start to smile. Mm-hmm. And then people would start to talk to each other. And if they didn't want to talk to each other, they would talk to the dogs. Mm-hmm. And the, some dogs inherently knew which person was more stressed out and would go and put their heads on that person's lap. I mean, it, it was absolutely heartbreaking and amazing at the same time to see it. So that was my introduction into pets of uh, uh, therapy dogs. Mm-hmm. And they came from all over the country. Um, and my foundation, the Victoria Still Foundation, provides money now for canine assistance dog service dogs and therapy dog organizations. Oh, how wonderful. And, you know, I know, Polly, you and I have spoken about pets really can help somebody when, you know, they're in need. And you know that as yeah. a psychologist, you've seen that firsthand. Absolutely. I, you know, I could talk about this theoretically, but let me just tell you a story of one of my clients who came in literally wanting to end her life. And through having a dog again, she came back to life. It was pretty profound. So I had this client who came in extremely depressed. I work with a lot of people who are depressed. And one of the things that happens when you're depressed is that you don't want to leave your house a lot of times. You don't want to feed yourself. You don't want to leave the house. You really don't feel good. You feel hopeless about the future. This is a woman who several months before she had lost in a very short period of time, she had lost her job. She had lost her, um, boyfriend, she had had to move out, and her dog, by the way, because the boyfriend had the dog, Mm -hmm. and she had lost one of her parents. Mm -hmm. So this was a major, I mean, major, major stress. So what happened when she first came to see me, one of the questions I asked people is, what do you like to do? And she gave me the very typical response I hear from people who are severely depressed, which is nothing. I don't like to do anything. When you're depressed, when you're in a negative place, you can't recall things that are positive. It's very hard. We call it state-dependent learning. We tend to only remember things in that same mood. You know, when you're in a bad mood, you listen to music that makes you more sad. It's sort of (laughs) silly, but we do do that. So anyway, so she was not doing well. So in our next session, I talked to her and I asked her, um, okay, what did you used to enjoy? And the only thing that she talked about that gave her life even in the session was that she used to volunteer at a shelter, at an animal shelter. Wow. So I said, okay. So we talked about how much she loved dogs. It was the first time that she really started lighting up a little bit. I asked her, do you think that having a dog again would be something that would be good for you? She said, I don't know. I love them so much. I don't know that I could do what, what that dog would need me to do. Well, what would you be willing to do? Uh, I can go and volunteer back at this place. So it was getting her, just the love of dogs was helping her get out of the house and do what she needed to do. So ultimately what happened was as she was working at this shelter and she got more and more connected with the dogs, because one of the things that can happen with depression is you stop making eye contact with people. You don't feel good about yourself. What do you do? You look down, you're embarrassed, you're ashamed, you feel less than, symptom of depression. So she started working at this at this shelter and got very connected to this dog and was talking about this dog who she's like, oh, this dog has such trust issues. This dog is scared. This dog looks down. And I didn't say anything. Mm. And she knew. And she stopped. And she said, yeah, that's how I'm feeling. And it was this dog that wow. really helped reflect in her what was going on with her. So fast forward, I know, you know, fast forward, um, she ended up adopting this dog. And, you know, when she was depressed, she couldn't get out of the house. 
She didn't want to get out of the house for herself, but her love of dogs made her push through the depression. And she took some medication. I have to be honest. She was she mm-hmm. needed medication. But to push through, she would take her dog out. Well, what happened? Her dog was out, and then they started going to the dog park. So what happens there? You start meeting people. Not only do you meet people, you meet people who share your values. And so it's just this process of being able to get out. So it's sort of this dog really saved her life. And a lot of times, people who are not willing to do something for themselves Oh, they're going to get up and feed their dog. Well, while they're already in the kitchen, they might as well eat. So one of the things with depression is that motivation is hard to get. But sometimes action will precede motivation. If you do something, then you'll feel like doing it. If you wait to feel like doing it, you may never do it. And that's what's amazing about um, this this dog. I mean, it was and it was interesting because nothing I could have done or said as a shrink would have helped her. Honestly, they gave her meds; she felt better. But no amount of "let's talk about your issues" or any of that kind of stuff staying in your head was going to help her. That's the thing about the dog; it got her present, it got her connected. It was amazing. So it wow. gave her a sense of purpose. She had something else to concentrate right. on, was it? Was Absolutely. it like redirecting? Redirecting yeah. and behavior, just getting her to do things and feel like doing them. Um, there's basically a three-part formula for happiness. It's doing things that give you pleasure. It's doing things that get you engaged and connected. And it's doing things that have a sense of purpose. You need those three things to be happy. Fascinating. Wow, I need to take notes on that. I want to go over that later. <laughs> take notes on that. Um, you know, also, I know that there's been studies done in the past where they say that dogs um, and cats, animals can be a very calming influence for people too. So on the flip side of someone who might be very depressed, someone who might be very anxious mm-hmm. and might be very upset, an animal could help yes. relieve that tension. Right. And a part of that I think is about, first of all, it's the getting present. Animals are in the present. You know, when we are anxious, we're worrying about the future or we're dwelling on the past. When there's no room for that, when you're with an animal, you're fully present. The other thing is a lot of people are anxious because they're scared of what people think of them. They're scared of being judged. And with an animal, you don't have to worry about that. And so if you can have the experience, oh God, I'm getting chills. Honestly, I'm getting chills as I'm talking about that. If you can have the experience of feeling, being in the presence of somebody or something that is not judging you and you know that, you can then start trying to do that with human beings as well. But that's a big part of anxiety is the worry about how I'm going to be perceived. You don't have to worry about that with a dog. See, that's why we have dogs. Yes. Isn't it? It's it's healthy. I mean, it's good for you. And I and I know that you know they've done studies. I'm the nerd who always looks at studies, <laughs> and I was a medical reporter. But they also they found that dogs lower blood pressure. Oh, it makes perfect um, sense. And then you think about it, and what do they take dogs? They take dogs to nursing homes. Yep. Yes. So that helps too. So I mean, there there's just mm. so many ways that they're. They're good for you, and they teach responsibility. If you yep. have a young child, yep. it teaches them that the world doesn't revolve around them, that there are other beings that they need to care for. That's right. That's right. We have a dog, and my kids are seven and nine, and definitely it helps with that. We need to remind them sometimes, but you know, I didn't grow up with an animal. So the idea of having to take care of something else, it's been a hard shift for me because I married somebody who loves dogs. So it's been very interesting to watch my kids learn that which I never learned as a kid. See, now this is interesting too. It brings up another point that we've talked about before is the, um, the dog, the animal lover, the not someone who's not used to it, the relationship. Breaker. Oh my God. That's so a <laughs> oh whole gosh, other show. Oh my God. So many of those on my show. Victoria, I mean, don't you feel like a couple's therapist? more I than do. A, what's you know, that like for you? Well, when I first, when I first became a trainer, I thought, well, I'm going to go and train so many dogs. This is going to be fab. And literally one of my first consults I had a husband and wife in front of me crying, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? What's going on? And I found very, very, very quickly my role as a dog trainer, (laughs) a therapist. You really are. You're a behaviorist. Absolutely. Well, and I can tell you that Victoria came into my house with my dog and my husband. And, you know, I love my husband to death, but we definitely, um, we come from different planets. And you put it best, and I think no one has pinpointed our relationship quirk than Victoria and she said Holly you're type A Sean you're type Z <laughs> and it's true and it's yeah. and that's exactly and, and as yeah. soon as I was able to go you know what you're right and he's like yeah so we were able and that's what you did you basically it was about us because a lot of our uh-huh. issue was I was on my husband because right. come on come on come on you yeah. know you're not doing enough with the dog right. he's like chill out and the more right. I would push the more he'd pull now you away. guys are a G you've met in the middle <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we're an F <laughs> but we're hoping to get to a B um, no but you're but hoping <laughs> you're type A <laughs> exactly again yes, so maybe I'm not right. completely there 
<laughs> you may need to come back and visit. But, um, but yeah, but it, you know, it's hard if you, you, you know what I mean? Like, do you throw a dog in the mix? And this can be a real deal breaker yeah. or oh, maker. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. and that's what I find so much. I mean, of course, I'm there and they're, they're arguing about the dog. But there are so many other things going on in the relationship. And the dog's yeah. just getting the brunt of it. That's what I found out. Right. And I would imagine the dog can be the bridge, too, where actually a dog can help a relationship. Just like we talked about dogs as therapy to somebody, a dog could be a couple's therapist. Oh, I have to tell you this really interesting thing. Somebody recently was telling me they're they're going through a divorce and um, their soon-to-be ex-wife got a puppy during the divorce process. And this person was telling me it has been so wonderful because it's given their family a common sense of purpose. He lives just a few miles from where his kids and, and um, his soon-to-be ex-wife live. And when they've gone on walks to kind of talk about things, you know, maybe they didn't want the kids to hear and they take the dog for a walk. It's a perfect, oh, we're going to take the dog for a walk. It's been a way to be able to really talk about things. And then when things get tense, oh, the dog does something cute or you can focus on the dog. You know, it's sort of like with our adolescents. If you want an adolescent to talk to you, I don't know if it's like this with adolescent dogs, but with adolescents, sometimes the best thing to do is do it in the car when you're not making eye contact. There's something about eye contact that's very profound and powerful. And so sometimes you can have really good conversations. You're playing with the dog, you're sitting together, and you can have some really profound conversations, especially with boys. Boys tend to really do well talking with you when you're doing an activity. But anyway, so when you're not when you're not actually focusing on that person, when you're actually you're doing something else, then or you're giving them a little space to breathe, and you're giving them a little bit of their own sort of moment, so that you're not on that. Eye contact is so powerful. I mean, it is for some people. Eye contact is an incredible, incredible. Enforcement thing. Some people are so overwhelmed by it. It just depends on your personality. Is that why when I go into a home, people don't want to look me in the eye? Yes. Uh, I think yeah. So. There's a lot of shame involved. Here are these people that are, well, it's not because, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shame when you feel like, oh my God, I've messed up my kids. I've messed up my dogs. It's totally my fault. This place is crazy. I can't get this dog to stop barking and I'm embarrassed. There's a lot of shame with that. And so, yeah, having your eyes down, it's scary. And people are going to assume that you're going to judge them. You're not judging them. You want to help them. Absolutely. But people are going to assume that. Sometimes the British accent, I think, can, can oh, make people no feel like you're judgmental. It. But mm-hmm. I know that, I mean, you're all about helping people, but they're scared. They're scared of being judged. And that's why sometimes I think that you probably don't get the information you need from people because they don't want you to judge them and that's their own projection and so it takes me a while I can come with you and be the goofy sidekick they can tell yes, me can. and I relate to you <laughs> but you know they do open up eventually obviously yeah. on the first day when I'm observing it's all very new you've got a whole camera crew there and you don't but then after a couple of days they get used to you they get used to me when they find out who I really am they found out there's a lot of compassion there and that yeah. I really truly want to help them then it comes out yeah. Right. And it's the same thing like eye contact. If you ever, you know, you see that cheesy person who comes up and they just kind of saunter over and they give you the eye stare and, you know, and it's, it's, it's intrusive. It can be yes. very intrusive and penetrating and not a good way. It really, right. it's interesting when I've worked with people who have schizophrenia and other disorders, you don't realize how difficult it is or how subtle social skills are until somebody doesn't have them and you have to teach it to them. Think about teaching someone who doesn't know how to do eye contact when it's appropriate to meet the gaze, when it's appropriate to look away. We don't even realize how complex it is and how we use it. It's really powerful. And so our eye, I mean, people talk about the eyes being the windows to the soul. I mean, yeah. Can you tell me about then that people really irritate me that come up and you don't know them, but actually even people that you do know and they talk really close, close talkers, to close you, talkers. close talkers. Seriously, what's going on there? Do they have bad <laughs> eyesight or what? Bad hearing? Well, there are people, I mean, I think there's space invaders. <laughs> space invaders. I love that video game. Yeah, that video video game? That's what they are. I'm so 80s. Um, so, <laughs> I love Pac-Man. I was six. <laughs> right. Whatever. I haven't been born yet. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. yeah uh-huh. So anyway, so... I think some people, there's just a wide range of what people's sense of space and distance is. You know, it's just people are very different. And other people are not good at reading social cues. You know, when someone, you know, I'm somebody who's very warm. I'm very effusive. Um, I know that there have been times where I'm like, I'm a hugger. And I can tell the person isn't. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, no, I'm not a hugger. Handshake. You know, yeah. um, it's just it, there's a lot of subtlety in social cues. And some people, it's like they need a two by four over the head. <laughs> You know, it's it's a tough thing. And and why is it irritating? Not that I want to psychoanalyze you, but why does it irritate you so much? It makes me feel uncomfortable. I take a step back and they take a step with ah, me. Ah, so they're not paying attention. They're intruding no, your space. They are intruding my space. And a lot of that may be because they feel like they know you. They watch you on television all the time, every week. They've gotten to know you and, and you don't know them, but they feel like they're your friend because they know how you're going to act, what you look like. And so they've built a relationship with you already. And so they feel like, well, of course I can be close to you because you're my friend. Because I found that a lot in radio and TV. People know 
know you, you don't know them. And they feel like, oh, we're old friends. So therefore I can take liberties. I think that's that's part of That's an interesting perspective. I also think, I mean, it's so interesting because... I would imagine, you know, when we study, when I study psychology theory, we ha- I have to understand the psychologist. So I'd be really curious, maybe we can talk about another time, why you do what you do, how you do it. What part of you, how did you decide, you know, how does that align with who you are? Do you, are you big on giving dogs space? I am. Isn't that curious? Absolutely. Right? So it's sort of, we all tend to put our own stuff mm. um, into anything we do. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, that's well, one you, of my big deals. And Isn't you, that curious? Yep. <laughs> yeah. And we've talked about it. You know, dogs, it's same thing in the dog world, reading social cues. And I know I have a dog who does not like to, inter- when we went to the dog park, he just wanted to play with the ball. He didn't want to interact with the other dogs. So he would growl just a little bit to give him a warning, back off, I don't want to play with you. And it was up to, some dogs read the social cue and they went away and said, fine, I don't want to play with you. Other dogs are like, what? I want to play. And they would jump all over him. And then we went, okay, there's going to be a fight. It's the same thing, I guess, in the dog Exactly world. the same. There are some dogs that can read cues and there are other dogs that just can't. And that's one of the biggest things that I deal with is dog to dog aggression, mm. leash aggression, reactivity. And that's dogs not, not having the ability to read language. Mm. Yeah. I know. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just well. sitting here thinking about um, how similar uh, all of this is, human beings, animals. Very similar. I mean, it's just incredible. And it's humbling to think about how much we're all similar and how if we were to treat, if we treat our animals in a positive way, that has huge implications. It's ripple effect. Because if I'm screaming at my dogs, my kids are going to hear that. So if I don't scream at my kids, they still know that I'm screaming. So what a powerful thing what you're talking about is sort of all these connections. It's it really is. amazing. The more that we learn about our dogs, the more we see the similarities and for so long you know it's just a dog doesn't have emotions doesn't have feelings well the emotional part of their brain is wired in exactly the same way as ours well, no they, difference. And they've done research showing that people who started abusing animals go on to abuse people. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. There's actually two. If you're looking at sort of sociopaths and people who there's two predictors that we psychologists look at in childhood. Did the person have fire setting behaviors? Were they setting fires? And the second one is cruelty to animals. Those are the two telltale signs that we look at when it comes to making a diagnosis. If I'm giving someone a, a clinical interview, I ask about that. See? Interesting. Can and we have you back again? Yes. <laughs> Come on. Paula's going to, you know, just join the podcast. Yeah, what are you just, doing every week? Let's just get a sofa in here so I can really analyze Victoria. <laughs> oh, no, she please can don't. analyze me back. I told oh, you, though, after don't. I have lunch with Paula, I feel great. I feel like I've just been released. And, and I'm exhausted. Right. I'm sorry. I've given you all my stuff. But as the person no. on the side of animal behavior, it's fascinating for me well, to hear. It's very similar the because she's a psychologist. You're a behaviorist. You mm-hmm. deal with the same things. Yours mm-hmm. is you understand dogs. You understand people. But you understand dogs. You understand people. It's I'm the only right. outcast. Right. So therefore, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You're the bridge. Um, yes, You're the bridge. You. Oh, what a nice reframe. See, See she's so positive. See, she's getting Positively, it. yes. And um, so to make myself useful, I want to let everyone know that your website, Paula, is paulabloom.com. Yes, it is. And they can find all about you. I know you write for the Huffington Post. You write uh, your book. You don't. You go on headline news and all that stuff. So you can definitely see Paula and you will come back, right? Yes, I've decided I will come back. Great, thank Great. you. <laughs> and also want to let uh, everybody know, too, about, um, you know, th- talking about therapy and dogs, Pets Add Life. It's a great organization, mm. and they talk about all different ways that, you know, we, as we talked about dogs as therapy and, you know, animals really contribute to our lives, and their um, their website is petsadlife.org. And it's fun, you know, like we all need a break at work, right? You would you would. Absolutely. Yeah, we need that. it. Yeah, totally. They totally. have great videos on their website and interesting stuff. So much so. more productive than Facebook, I have to say. It sounds See? like you could learn something. There you go. So petsadlife.org and your website, paulabloom.com. And don't forget to keep checking back here at positively.com. I'm working on my website. I'll get it up. Someday. Okay, good. In the meantime, good. I'll just piggyback with you. Thanks, Paula. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, this has been great. Hey, you got something on your mind? What are you, a wizard, a genius? How do they make a miniature? I mean, is there some way, some process they... They physically miniaturize the dog, or is it a puppy, or what What the devil is going on? That's a really good question. I've got my work cut out for me here. Next time you want to know something... Can you repeat the yes. question? Why don't you ask Victoria? She's the expert with this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, you obviously don't dog. know my dog. Just ask Victoria. Okay, we're going to put the questions to you. We've got a lot of great questions from everybody, so should we jump in? Yep. Okay, this one um, is a good one. It's um, from James S. in Binghamton, New York. And uh, the reason it's important is, you know, the weather's getting colder and people are starting to light their fireplaces in the house. And uh, James has an issue I've never heard before, but um, he says, Hi, Victoria. My name is James Swain. 
How can you teach a dog not to be afraid of fire, like a fireplace in a family home? Um, and I guess that's a good question because I guess the dog, when they light the fireplace, he might be afraid of it, but in a way it's good because I know that not too long ago, our front yard was caught on fire. My dog freaked out and woke up the family and we got out. So how would you, how do you deal with that? I don't really want to teach a dog that fire is okay. Yeah. Um, all I'd say is that I guess if your dog is freaked out when you light the fireplace, either don't have a fire or have the dog outside when you have the fire on or just have um, a grate in between the fire and the dog. I, I, you know what? I don't I don't think you should be teaching a dog to fear, not to fear fire. You want them to run away as fast as possible. Right. Um, I would say, though, if you want the dog to be comfortable in the room, Take your focus away from the fire. Uh, that means by giving the dog its favorite toy, feeding it its dinner or its food or something in a nice Kong in the room when the fire is lit. But away from the fire. Away from the fire. So, And then petting and praise and play and just hanging out. So the dog gets used to it. It doesn't become such a big deal anymore. Or the worst case scenario, get a room heater and don't worry about the fire so you can hang out with your dog. Yeah, but we, I know. I mean, I love a nice open fire. And it always does concern me. I mean, we have, we have a sort of a chain mail curtain uh, between mm -hmm. our fireplace and, and the rest, and the room. Because I'm always a little bit worried. Sadie, for, for example, loves to go and lie really close to the fire because she's all warm. But I get freaked out because I'm thinking if some spark jumps out. So I always keep that curtain closed. Mm -hmm. I can still get the warmth of it, but it keeps the animals safe. Okay. Uh, here's another question for you. This one is from, uh, this is from Mrs. Burroughs in Bournemouth, UK. And actually, it's an issue that I dealt with and you helped me with. Uh, she has a Jack Russell Terrier. He's approximately 18 months old. She says, I've owned him for nine months. When we take him out on the lead, he will try to attack moving cars. I'm really worried that he may get hurt if, he re if, it, if it gets really bad. Also, he will pick up anything left out, like toys, pencils, pens, and run under a table with them. When I try to retrieve the objects in question, Bailey thinks it's a game and chases around, chase, and chases around the lounge. Obviously, I know not to chase him around, but then everything gets broken. Please help. So there's sort of two issues, but sort of the same. Sounds like Bailey wants to play. He wants to play and he loves chasing. And so many Terriers are like that. They love the game of chase and they like to be chased too. I would say certainly with his desire to chase. Jasmine, my Chihuahua Minpin Mix, has just started to show this kind of behavior. When a bice comes, she loves chasing after squirrels anyway. That's her thing. Mm -hmm. But now I've noticed that if a bicycle goes past yes. or a motorbike or a jogger, she's getting really hyped up. So I have to pull her focus. First of all, I mean, I anticipate. I scan my environment. If a jogger is coming or a bicycle is coming, I get her attention. And she's really, really good at just focusing on me, keeping her focus on me as that person or that cyclist goes past. But some dogs are so hyped up, so vamped up that it's really difficult even to get their focus. So I walk them off in the other direction. I just, I, I get the dog to actually do something. Because sometimes if a dog is just sitting there giving you focus, it can't control itself and then it explodes. But if you're actually moving the dog, there are some dogs that learn better when they're moving than when they're sitting still. So get the dog out of there. Walk the dog off in another direction. Get your dog into a different kind of zone. Some dogs are great if you give them a toy and you play tug with them as that cyclist or that person, that dog is running past. So you're actually indulging in another activity or you're throwing a ball for them. And that only comes out when that jogger or that cyclist goes past or, or the car goes past because there are some dogs that will do it with motorbikes and cars as well. That was my dog chasing cars. Yeah. Um, and so you have to find, you, you give, you redirect the behavior and give something else for the dog to do. And you had said to me, which is a good point, because the car will drive by and the dog barks and chases after the dog wins. Absolutely. Because the car yes. goes away. Of so. course. <laughs> of course. So they've been successful right. and, and they've won the game. Um, if you try and give them something that's just as reinforcing and that it appears... So each time they see that jogger, that this thing appears that they really, really love and you redirect the behavior, then hopefully your dog will focus on that and not the jogger going past. I also think that dogs like terriers, I mean, get them to do some kind of sport. I really like 
these dogs to do something that they love to do, like fly ball or lure coursing or something like that, something that the dog can really get its energy out on, but in a controlled way. And that way your dog is really, even when it's really hyped up, it's listening to you because it's learned to do that. Now for the next thing, when a dog steals something, try and keep everything away from that dog so that it doesn't have the chance to rehearse the behavior. But if it does, then have, and I always sort of have strategically placed boxes full of really cool things that the dog loves. And I will go and get a toy and start playing with the toy myself, totally ignoring the dog in the same room as the dog, but totally ignoring it. I'm focused completely on this toy as if I'm having the best time in the world. The dog goes, what are you playing with? <laughs> that looks much more exciting than what I've got. And they come over to you. 99% of the time that happens. They drop what they have in their mouth and then you throw them the toy. And as they're retrieving the toy, you go and pick up what they picked up. Ooh, that's good. I like that. All right. Good luck, Mrs. Burroughs. Let us know how that works out. Um, here's one, uh, one more question for you. Uh, this is from Kendall in Carmichael, California. I recently lost a Chihuahua due to old age. Her, uh, her adopted much younger brother is lonely. I think I'm not in a position to get another dog to train yet. Would a kitten help to keep him company while I'm at work? I've always had at least two dogs. My dog is walked daily when I get home from work. It's just during the day that I'm worried. Thought I could rescue a kitten. What are your thoughts? I don't like the idea of a dog being left with a cat or a kitten. Mm -hmm. I don't, has the dog been around cats before? I don't like that idea of the person going to work and leaving the dog with that kitten. You have to be really careful when you're going cross species and when you're introducing other species into your home. Because even if you've had an existing cat and that cat's passed away and the dog's by itself, bringing another cat in might be a completely different dynamic. And so my suggestion to you would be don't do it. If you are going to, why not think about adopting an older dog? Not a puppy, but an older dog that would keep your dog company. Or if you're worried about it, take your dog to doggy daycare or get a dog walker in the middle of the day. I just don't like the idea of getting a kitten and then leaving these two together. Um, I'm all for that because, you know, one of the problems you solved with me was the dog chasing the cat. Yes. And not because she wanted to hurt the the cat, but she thought the cat was a moving play toy and they can get out of control. And she was happy. She's a sweet dog. She just thought, look, a squeak toy that runs. I'll go chase it. Well, that answers those questions. And if you have questions for Victoria, please send them in. Uh, go to uh, Positively.com and you'll see the pod, the button on the podcast page that says Ask Victoria. Click on it, send us your question, and uh, have Victoria solve your problem as best she can. Hey, Victoria, give me a fascinating furry fact. The aggressive bark is... Uh, thanks for that, I guess. I know what you're thinking. Get crazy people, crazy dog. Did you provoke her? What did you do? Come on, did you pinch her or something? Got anything else? The term dog gave summer was coined by the ancient Greeks and Romans to describe the hottest days of summer that coincided with the rising of the dog star Sirius. I learn a lot from my child. She's brilliant. I do. I learn a lot from her. And so I wanted to keep uh, our, our next, our Animal Academy, into the sort of the whole vein of that little uh, fascinating fact and ask you some questions about Greek mythology. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. I'm <clears throat> getting ready here. All right. Okay. Let's jump right into the Let's Embarrass and Humiliate Holly segment. Open your notebook, sharpen your pencil, and get ready. You're about to attend Victoria's Animal Academy. You know what? This is more of a miscellaneous, I would say. But I thought, you know, I, I was looking up these when I was trying to um, get stump some great me. questions, trying to stump <laughs> you as much as I could. And uh, I came across this, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. So, And some of this I didn't know either. Anyway, I'm going to start with an easy one. Okay. All she right. says easy, air quotes. Mm -hmm. Easy. Who was the three-headed dog of Greek mythology who guarded the gates to the underworld? Was it Hades? No, Hades is... Well, not the, the dude, dog. not the bloke. Yeah, this was... This <laughs> not the bloke. 
Um, this was the dog. The oh, three-headed yeah. dog of Greek mythology who guarded the gates to the underworld. Terrible. I took Greek mythology in college. I'm not going to lie. It was an 8 a.m. class. God, who would have gone to an 8 a.m. class? <laughs> well, that's why kidding? I don't know anything. Oh. <laughs> that's exactly what I said. Sounds Who's like my husband. Dog? I'll know it once you say it. Cerberus. Okay. Did you not know that? No, I think I've vaguely heard that. I before. think that oh would have been the only one that I would have known. Really? Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Oh boy, that's gonna go downhill from here. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Good to know. All right. Well, I'm gonna here's... have to use that in a, in a sentence sometime this week. Yeah. And here's here's <clears throat> sort of a historical fact. Stone-aged uh-huh. people tamed dogs to help them track game. Okay. Mm-hmm. About eight thousand years ago, ancient Egyptians raised what breed of hunting dogs? Oh, um, the Egyptians would have raised, um, excuse me, um, mm, well, let's think, Egypt. um, They're probably the oldest known breed. Oh. And and I'll give you a clue. They're sight hounds. Oh, it's a hound. They run very, very fast. I have a hound. It's not a bloodhound. No, no, it's not a bloodhound in Egypt. (laughs) Um, I have no idea. Saluki. I don't even know what that's a Saluki. Okay, that was a violin. We're going <laughs> to post a picture of a Saluki. Okay. So you can see it. Beautiful, lean dog with very wispy hair. Looks a bit like a whippet crossed with a greyhound. But oh. A, oh, Borzoi. Do you know what a Borzoi is? I do know a Borzoi. Yeah. They look like Afghans a little. Well, okay. So it's the sort of same kind of family. They're all sight hounds. Oh. Salukis are extremely fast. And Saluki is an Arabic word meaning noble one. And when you look at these dogs, they're very noble looking dogs. Hmm. I want to see it. I have a black and tan coon hound. Can he see well? Because he's a little stupid. Plus his heart. Well, he, yeah, he probably can see pretty well unless he he's got a vision problem. No. Why do you say he's stupid? Oh, boy. It's a whole other story. He's, Is it? Yeah. You you know my dog, Barnsley. Yes, I, mean, I do. Well, he's, he's a little... He's a little nervy. He's like Kramer of the dog world. Yeah, he Seinfeld. is. <laughs> you know what? When you, when you said that, that's such a perfect explanation for your poor dog. Quirky? Little quirky. Yeah, he is quirky, but he he's not real bright. Like the okay. doorbell will ring and he'll start running and he doesn't know where to run to. Like which door, the back door, the front door. Oh. Like he just seems a little clueless. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe he's got some sort of uh, difficulty in trying to locate sounds. Which most got dogs are really, really good at locating sounds. You would think. And I don't think it's because he's dumb. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll be to be continued. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think we've had this question before, but yep. what is an African wolf dog? That is the only dog that cannot bark. Oh, I know this. We just had this in conversation because I want one because it's the Basenji. Yes. I just think that's so cool. But they, they're they not silent, I learned they're from not. you. They're not. And they do have this very strange sound. What? So don't get a dog. If you if you if you want to get a dog that doesn't bark, this Basenji does make a noise. It's sort of, um, I, I can't really do it on here. What is it, though? What does it it's, sound like? It's more like a kind of um, throaty not howl, but a throaty, you know what? I'm going to get for the next <laughs> podcast next week. Get a Basenji? Uh, yes. I'm going to get some um, Basenji sound effects and play it. Okay. Because I don't want to do it. Uh, I won't do it justice if I do it myself. Um, <laughs> what is the largest breed of dog? Um, that would be the Irish wolfhound. <gasps> That's fabulous. <laughs> I know. A lot of people would send the Great Dane. You know why I know this is because the dog park that I go to, there's a couple there that have two Irish wolfhounds, and they are the biggest dogs ever. They're yeah. beautiful, but they lope. It takes them forever to get across, but just to watch them, they're they're huge. Yeah, they are they're massive. Beautiful. And I used to when I when I was a dog walker, I used to walk one of them, and I had to walk it on oh a on a, a head halter because it was so strong. It just pulled me over. Wow. Yeah. Are those smart yeah. dogs? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. You know, wow. I, I, I always say I don't think there's a dumb dog. I just think that, you know, dogs are bred to do different things and mm. they excel at different things. Plus, you know, how are we as humans able to judge that they're smart or not smart? Because I, they are intelligent in different ways. Right. Because I'd always read that old English bull, uh, sheep dogs were not probably the brightest From dogs. a human point of view. Right. Probably in the dog world. Probably the best. There you it's just that know. we're too stupid to know about it. Um, <laughs> I like that. Okay, what is the smallest breed of dog? Um, that's going to have to be, would that be like the miniature Chihuahua? Yeah, the Chihuahua. Smallest oh, breed yeah, of dog yeah. in the world. Heaviest dog? Well, 
Not on purpose. And let's not say, yeah. let's not say cashmere, shall we? Yeah. So just her legs done. <laughs> My dog. Um, how about, um, would that be the, um, that would be the, what's the, oh, oh, oh. I just had it in my head. It's the um, Mastiff? You know what? I, I would have thought it would be the Mastiff, but it's not. No. It's just St. Bernard or St. Bernard. Oh. Yeah. But have you seen a Mastiff? Yes. Like a Mastiff's head weighs as much as I think I do. Have you seen a St. Bernard? No, not really in They're person. I don't huge. think I've ever seen one in person. They're huge. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, a human heart, a, a regular, normal human heart beats 70 to 80 times per minute. A dog's heart beats between 70 and... 120. Very good. Thank you. I was a medical reporter. The only reason why I know that that's weird, I don't even know. If you'd have asked me that question, I wouldn't have known about that. Well, because they have a faster heart. Because I will tell you this. Okay, in my crazy, my husband's like, you're a hypochondriac. But, you know, I always lay with my dogs. I put my head on my dogs. And I remember just, you know, snuggling with the dog and hearing Barnsley's heart beating so fast. I'm thinking... He's in defib. Oh, my God, something's happening. It's some ventricular. You know, oh, my God. And I remember asking the vet, like, I was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And when they breathe heavy after they've been panting, it takes a while in the summer for them to, I thought they were having a heart attack. So I called my vet. He's like, no, it's okay. 120 beats. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, a female carries her young for how many days before the puppies are born? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I'm going to go with um, 142. A little bit out. <laughs> 60. Oh, wow. Do you know when I was pregnant? God, I wish it would only be 60 Two months? Days. Yes. It just develops that fast. Yeah. Why do we humans have to do nine months? I by think... by month six, I was ready. I was I was like, come on, let's get this baby out. Let, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's get her here. You know what? I think the elephant also is like long-term nine months, isn't I it? I think so. <clears throat> wow. Two months? They got it easy, Two months. They? Exactly. Gosh. <laughs> well, that's it. I guess they I, got it. Holly, I was really impressed with you there. I got a couple right for the first time. I don't think I was that dumb. Okay, this is too easy then. No, no, no. Kind of make it harder. I just remembered Sybaris. Sybaris. If you got a great question that you want me to ask Holly, <laughs> a great quiz question, please email us at positively.com because we want to know and I want to be able to stump Holly because she's actually doing a little bit too too uh, good at this. So uh, podcasts at positively.com. Email us, all right? I love it. And don't forget, you can follow Vic at facebook.com slash Victoria Stillwell and twitter.com slash It's Mere the Dog. And uh, you're always Twittering when we're doing our new podcast, when they'll be released and what you're up to. So don't forget. And then don't forget... Uh, you're going to York, Pennsylvania, but November 19th, New Bedford, Massachusetts, positively.com slash appearances. You can see Victoria. And um, also don't forget our favorite, our favorite website, petsadlife.org. Um, I'm going to go on it when we're done because I know they update it every week and um, actually more often than that. So let's check that out too. So having said that, Au revoir. have a good trip. Oh, you're going oh, to Mexico. I am going to Mexico. So adios. I'll let you know next week. Fabulous. Have a great time. <laughs> you too. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stillwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at It's Me or the Dog. This Positively Podcast has been brought to you by Pets Ad Life, who encourage you to get a pal for your pet. Visit PetsAdLife.org or the Pets Ad Life Facebook page to learn more. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively.